Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently, so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country and they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like, some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. I said a hip hop, the hip, the hip, it did a hip, hip hop, and you don't stop the rocket to the bang, bang, boogie, say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat. Now what you hear is not a test, I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I like to say hello. Up to the black, to the white, the red, and the brown, the purple, and yellow. But first, I gotta... The boogie say up, jump the boogie to the bang, bang, boogie, let's rock. You don't stop, rock the rhythm, and I'll make your body rock. Well, so far you've heard my voice, but I brought two friends along. And next on the mic is my man Hank. Come on, Hank, sing that song. Check it out, I'm the C-A-X-N, the O-V-A, and the rest is F-L-Y. You see, I go by the code of the doctor of the mix, and these reasons I'll tell you why. You see, I'm six foot one, and I'm tons of fun, and I guess to a D. I know, I know, I know. I didn't do a podcast last week. But I've got a ton of stuff to talk about. I just got back from a boat trip to Costa Rica that we have to do like every 60 days to keep the boat current on its paperwork. So we're trying to naturalize the boat into a Nicaraguan boat and not a U.S. boat. You wouldn't believe all the paperwork that has to be done and this classification that we're trying to get for the business. And it's just one thing after another. But the requirement is that the boat go to Costa Rica every 60 days to get the visa reworked or whatever. I I really don't know why it has to go out every 60 days. I just know that it has to. And here I've learned not to try to get an explanation as to why things are a certain way because you won't get it. Because a lot of people don't know. They're just following the rules from the people above them. And... No common sense can get interjected. It's just the way that it is. So anyway, I've got a whole podcast to talk about that trip if I ever get around to it. But I'm hoping that I do because it was quite the adventure. I made it back safe and sound to find two still fat dogs. Maybe even a little bit fatter than when I left. And just when I thought I was getting them trimmed back down to their fighting weights, I come back from this four-day trip to Costa Rica I open the door to the house, and they come running out, and I think they've gained weight in four days. And so I go outside, and I talk to Felipe, and I said, Felipe, what is the deal? Why are these dogs fat? Now, keep in mind that before this trip, I told Ronnie that he was in charge of all the dog feed, and I showed him exactly how much food to put in the bowl twice a day. It was one cup. If he filled it to the brim, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't be too much food. Even if he gave it a little bit less, it'd be fine. Even if he fed him a half of that, they would still be alive. 
So he does his part. And Felipe, as I'm asking him or mentioning to him that the dogs are fat, I said, Felipe, why are the dogs so fat? Kind of just kidding, knowing that he would have no clue because he hadn't fed them. Oh, but he had. He had fed them. He told me that he would get here around 5.30 every day, and he would let them out and play with them and go swimming. And then about 1 o'clock in the morning, he would feed them. And I kind of looked at him, and I go, what? Why were you feeding them? I told you that Ronnie was going to feed them. He's like, oh, yeah, I know, but they, they looked hungry. And I was like, Felipe, but I told you not to feed them. He's like, but it wasn't that much. And I said, but they're fat. So it was enough to make them fatter than what they were. And he said, um, okay, well, th- it was just a little bit. And I'm thinking, okay, now, next time, I'm going to put the dog food in individual bags, and then I'm going to hide the dog food bag, or I'm going to, like, tape it closed. And I, I don't understand. I mean, I specifically told him, don't feed the dogs. Okay, I mean, perfect Spanish. And I come home to two roly polies. But that's the way that it goes. You can talk to anyone else who's been down here, and they will verify what I'm telling you, which is the, with the Nicaraguan culture, and I think this holds true for all of Latin America, but I haven't had firsthand experience in other countries. But when it comes to an employer and employee relationship in Nicaragua, you can explain it to them perfectly, and then they'll tell you that they understand it, And then when you're not around, they will go back to doing things the exact same way they've always done them. And then they can't even really give you an explanation for it. And then they just say that I'm sorry. And you can rest assured that it will continue happening. And it it really, it blows my mind because they're so non-confrontational in other areas. They don't like conflict. They don't want to argue. They don't want to be told that they've done something wrong. But when you're not around, they'll do it. And he even told me, it wasn't like I was questioning him. I was mainly kidding as to why the dogs were so fat. And he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I fed them at 1 o'clock in the morning whenever they were hungry. I just don't get it sometimes. Another example of how the Nicaraguan culture doesn't exactly maintain things or repair them correctly. I was walking by the water tank, which is where the water is stored for the house. And there's a there's a line a water line coming out of it that had an elbow in it like a bend and it was dripping it was leaking pretty bad and I went and got Ronnie and said hey Ronnie this uh, this elbow is leaking we probably should you know cut this section of pipe out and replace it and he goes oh no no and he runs and he gets some kind of tape and it kind of looked like electrical tape but it wasn't I I suspect it was like a Nicaraguan special plumbing repair tape. And so he didn't even bother to drain the water out of the line, which contained the water before he started taping it. He just went to taping this stuff all over that thing as water's dripping out. And I'm thinking, there's no way that tape's going to stick. And then the tape stuck. And then it didn't leak. I said, okay, so you think it's fixed forever? He goes, oh, yeah, forever. The next day, I wake up. Felipe says, hey, uh, there's no water in the house this this." water line broke coming out of the tank and I go out there and look at it and sure enough it's right there where Ronnie had taped it up I imagine it was on its way to breaking the tape probably had nothing to do with it but either way it wasn't a sufficient repair they ended up getting it fixed but I just thought to myself like if we'd have just fixed it right the first time 
I wouldn't be here with B.O. in the morning because I could take a shower. I've got somewhat of a pig update. As I was driving home the other day, there's a dirt road that leads from the main road up to my house. And as I was coming through a little Nicaragua neighborhood, I see out of the corner of my eye, a little man come running up to the truck. I was like, man, I'm not sure if I know who this guy is. So I went ahead and rolled the window down. As I looked at the guy, I then remembered who he was. He was the pig injector man. So the guy that came up to give the pigs their vitamin injections. And I did check the box, and it was all vitamin A this, B that, C this, whatever. So hopefully it wasn't anything potent or poisonous. But anyway, he said, hey, it's time to give your pigs another uh, injection. And I'm thinking, okay, this is the fox guard in the hen house, but it can't cost me that much money. So I said, okay, when do you want to come up and give them the injection? He's like, oh, how about tomorrow? I said, okay, 11 o'clock. He says, okay, so about 11 o'clock, here he comes. Well, I didn't see him come up. I just heard loud pig squealing from my room. And I thought, oh, a pig injector man's here. So I go out there, and Ronnie and the pig injector man are inside the pig pen chasing around pigs unsuccessfully. So I kind of open the gate, which isn't really a gate. It's just a big tree with nails in it that we stretch the cyclone fence on over the nails to kind of close off the area that would normally be a gate. So I stand there, open up the fence, and I stand there. And these guys are chasing them around. They're kind of getting them to corners, and they'll, they'll approach them, and the pigs just take off and run every direction all at one time. So I stayed at the corner, and when they, they herded the pigs kind of over to my corner, but the pigs were so focused on Ronnie and the pig injector man that I would just reach down and grab a set of ears, and then they'd come, take them from me and give the injection. So we went ahead and did this four times, and it was pretty funny because I suspect that they think I'm like a city-fied gringo who doesn't have much experience with farm animals and things of that nature. So when they saw me reach down and just grab a pig by the ears, they looked at each other and were like, whoa, man, he, he's not scared to grab a pig by the ears. And that's the truth. I'm really not scared to grab a pig by the ears. Not that I like it, but I've done it plenty of times. And it was just funny to see the reaction. It was so hot on pig injection day that the pig injector man ended up taking off his shirt. And I think he fell down at least once in the pig slop. It didn't get on his face, but it got over his belly. And he just laughed. So I got him a towel. He gets cleaned off. The pig injection's done. I pay the man his $6. And he goes to walking home. And as he's walking home, I see this thing that anyone who's worked in and around construction in Texas will know what I'm talking about. Particularly with people from Mexico. What they do when it gets hot is they'll take their shirt and just raise it up over their belly. Typically, you got to have, you know, you gotta have a little bit of a belly to make this thing work. But what they'll do is they'll raise it up and just let the tail of the shirt, like the bottom of the shirt, rest on top of their belly to expose them their bare belly to the entire world. And they do that to help them cool off, especially when it's really hot outside and you've been flopping around with pigs. So I, I took note of it and I thought, man, that's, that's worth mentioning because people do it in public everywhere. I mean, I've never seen it in a bank or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if I did, but I've seen it in grocery stores. I've seen it in restaurants. I've seen it in open air markets. 
And they'll just take the shirt, pull it up over their belly, and just walk around, and no shame in their game. I saw a guy walking out of the grocery store the other day, like walking out of the grocery store. It wasn't like he was walking in and probably going to pull it down when he got inside the door, but he was walking out, and that thing was all the way up to his chin, and the belly was just flowing around. It's so funny because that just uh, doesn't happen where we come from, but they're not scared here. Last week on my trip to Managua, I took notes of a few things with every intention of mentioning them on here. Of course, I lost my note, so it didn't do me a ton of good. But a couple of the big things were, I know I've mentioned before on past shows about how they're not willing to accommodate food orders. And we were running around Managua, and Zach was like, man, let's just eat Subway. And I was like, man, I don't want to eat Subway. I don't like Subway. I've never liked Subway. I'll only eat it in a pinch. But I guess we were in a pinch. So we go to Subway, and they have a totally different menu. It's all in Spanish. The, the pictures, like, you can't trust them. So I ordered, it was an Italian sandwich. I think it's like ham, salami, and pepperoni. And so I said, okay, I want the, this Italian sandwich, but instead of ham, can I get turkey? He just looked at me. Like I asked for his firstborn son. And I go, no, it's not possible, is it? He's like, um, I don't think so. I would have to ask the manager. And I go, okay. And there was about three seconds where we just stared at each other. In the meantime, like the guy who takes the sandwich after him was trying to figure out what's going on. He's kind of looking at him, looking at me. So he drops the bread, runs out the back, comes back 30 seconds later and goes, no, I'm sorry, it's not possible. I go, not possible at all. I said, what if I give you $10 for the substitution? And about the time Zach's like, dude, come on, just get the sandwich and go. He doesn't, he doesn't like my changing plans, but I just don't, I don't understand it. And I know I've made that quite clear now. But it seems to me that anything can be done for the right price, especially when you're making money on it. So I went ahead and went about my way, ate my sandwich with my ham on it, and it was not good. It was just typical Subway, except here they use probably two-thirds less meat than they do in the States. Anybody who knows me knows that if I'm going to have a sandwich, it needs to have some meat on it. I also noticed that you don't see Nicaraguan race car drivers in Formula One and all the big international racing circuits. And that's because they're not the best drivers in the world. Right. And, and you know what? Like, I'm not, I'm not blaming them because they probably never took driver's ed. They don't know how to properly drive. Most of them grew up in homes with no cars. I mean, I think less than 20% of the population here owns a vehicle. So it's no surprise that when you go to Managua, it's uh, more chaotic than a high school parking lot on the last day of class. But what really gets me and I've been I've been riding around with other people in vehicles for a long time but I I've noticed the same behavior in a friend of mine when they drive and for whatever reason it seems like it seems as it's difficult to use the brake and the gas in a very smooth manner this particular guy in Managua it was either foot through the floorboard on the throttle or foot 
through the floorboard on the brake. It's like hit the brakes, you know, slow down, change lanes, and then slam on the throttle, and then get up to where you're going to be, then hit the brakes, and then let off the brakes. And then, you know, driving down the highway, if he's going 60 and he needs to get to 50, he'll just jam on the brakes at 60 till he gets to 40, and then hit slam on the throttle at 40 to get back up to 50. In the meantime, I'm just sitting there laughing because it can't feel as comfortable as when someone drives and they do it smoothly. Maybe the person who's operating the vehicle that does the slamming of the brakes and the gas has never really felt the joys and the comfort of someone who operates them smoothly. But it's funny here. I've noticed that that behavior, you know, of all my friends, I have one friend who does it. And of all the times that I've ridden in other people's cars, I've seen this behavior maybe 10% of the time. But here, it's like 80%. And once again, no fault of their own. They've just never learned. But I, I really would like to teach them because it benefits me when I'm riding with them. I realized the other day that I only had one key for my truck. Well, I didn't realize it. I, I knew that, but it finally got to the point of me being like, okay, I got to get some copies made. So I ordered some Toyota keys from the States. My mom brought them down when she came. And I go to the paint store here in San Juan that makes copies of keys. And I walked in there. I showed her my key to my truck. And I said, I need to make a copy of this key. And she goes, um, I'm sorry, we don't have that key. Which is what she told me two months ago before I ordered them from the States. And she said the exact same thing also, which was, but next week we'll have them. And remember, she said this two months ago. And when she told me that two months ago, I knew better than to count on them getting some. So I just went in and ordered some from the States. My mom brought them down. And I walked in with my truck key and one of the blanks. I said, I need you to just copy this key. Put it on this one. She says, oh, okay. Yep, no problem. So she goes in the back. I hear the key machine crank up and the grinding and the cutting and the buffing. About 10 minutes goes by. Someone else walks in the store. She comes out, greets them, goes back into the store, buffing, grinding, comes back out. She goes, hey, I'll have your key done in like 10 minutes. I said, okay. So I go back outside now. I'm sick of waiting inside. So I go outside. Uh, I see somebody that I know. I sit there and talk to them for about 10 minutes. So now, I don't know, 35 minutes into this deal, she comes outside, hands me my truck key, then hands the other key, the blank key, back to me and goes, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't cut this key. We don't have the right kind of equipment. <laughs> and I go, but I just heard you grinding and chipping and buffing on a key. She's like, oh, no, 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 that was, that was some other keys I was working on. And so I just looked at her and I go, so at what point did you know that you couldn't copy this key? And she said, whenever I looked at it. And so I looked back at her and I said, so when I handed it to you, did you know right then? And she was like, well, no, but I didn't really look at them too well. And I said, okay. So I didn't talk any more about it. and just went on about my way. But I just find it entertaining. It's, it's, so, it's gotten to be so funny to me that, that I don't even get worked up about it or get upset or get frustrated because 
I don't know, maybe three years ago, I would have sat there and tried to reason with her. And I would have asked her, like, well, if you knew about this, why did you tell me that earlier? Why did you waste my time? And I would go on and on and on about it. But now I just laugh to myself and walk away. And I'm thankful that I know not to do that. And I think that that gives you an advantage down here, especially when you're doing business, especially with foreigners, because they come down here and they get the behavior that takes people's time into consideration and it values their time and returns emails in a reasonable amount of time. And all the things that we're used to in the first world in the capitalism-driven economy. And people can sit there and poo-poo on capitalism and say that oh, everyone's corrupt and everything's corrupt. And sure, it has problems. Sure, there's things that need to be changed. Sure, there's bad apples in all the politicians that are corrupt. And sure that capitalism is frequently blamed for corruption. But when you look at it from a whole or from the big picture, sure, there may be some corruption. But the standard of service that you acquire through capitalism tends to be much better than any other form. And you can see it when it, it goes downhill. Service sucks at government agencies. Service sucks at Comcast. Service sucks at these giant companies that don't have much competition to speak of. The reason for that is because they don't have to give good service. And so it's my theory, and this is all just me guessing, is that all these little small towns in Central America, or all through Latin America, for that matter, they're in a position to where there's not much competition. Whether it be large-scale businesses that the government politicians are in bed with, and so they don't allow a free market bid economy. It's just uh, brother-in-law deals get handed out, and so... People aren't accustomed to providing good service to maintain relationships to build their business. And it, although it seems like a no-brainer to us, they've just never had to do it. So why would they? Why would they go out of their way, or, or not even go out of their way, but why would they value your time and energy when it's not going to affect the outcome of their business? I mean, that's just the most rudimentary thing that comes to my mind and being a small business owner, good service, friendly people doesn't cost anything. It does. There's no real cost. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit, but no real cost only benefit. And if you're going to focus on one thing that's free, I think that probably would pay off more than almost anything else. Speaking of bad service, I know I've talked before about this lawyer, finger in the air quotes, in Managua who's tried to hold us hostage to get this business classification that we need to get done so that we can import the boat, so we can stop going to Costa Rica every 60 days. And so I had a meeting with this guy in Managua, and the point where we are is that we've been using him for like three years. He's done nothing. He's taken half the money. Now he's putting it back on us, telling us what we need to come up with, what we need to produce, and he'll present that to this tourism board. So he had a meeting with his, quote, colleague, who would be willing to put together everything that we need to complete this package and submit it to him, and they would submit it to the tourism board, and four, five, six months, we should have 
this tourism classification. And I just didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel confident. I felt like this guy was a crook. And so we came across another guy who's well-renowned. He's known all over the country. He's done these classifications for the biggest of the biggest businesses. And I'm thinking, man, this other guy, the first guy we met with, the crook, his, his buddy wanted five grand to do this deal for us. And I'm just thinking, man, it's just not worth it. Like, I, don't, I think they're taking us. So we come across this other guy who's a big shot, you know, in the world of Nicaragua. He's the guy that's going to cost you a bunch of money, but he does it right. So I talked to him, and for 1500 he's going to do everything this other guy was going to do, plus present it to the tourism board, which we were going to have to pay our, quote-unquote, attorney, another 1700 for that. So it's going to be 1500 bucks instead of like 6700 And it makes me feel so good to finally break free from a hostage situation. Because that's what they do. I know I've talked about it before. They get you in a pickle. They wait it out. They get you all worked up. Then they, once you start cracking the whip on them, then they'll present to you a solution which costs you more money, which they always get a piece of, if not all of it. So that's where we're at. I'll keep you posted on the new situation. This guy doesn't call himself a lawyer, which I like. He calls himself a consultant. Everyone wants to be a big shot lawyer. Nobody wants to do the work. It's the same way here. Everyone that knows me knows I like the occasional cigar. And down here, the cigar options are limited. And you might think, wait, you're in Nicaragua. It's like the mecca of cigar makers. And that is true. But they don't sell them here because there's no market here. They ship them all to the States. So there's one store in Managua, which is population of right around a million, that sells cigars. And there's one store here in San Juan del Sur. Other than that, you have to find the little mom and pop guys and the smaller towns off the beaten path that make them and sell them to you with their label. So you can't get what you're used to getting in the States. So I go to Granada, um, where I know a little family there that makes cigars, and they're pretty decent, and they're pretty cheap. And it's about an hour and a half drive. So it's worth it for me to drive there, buy some cigars, and drive back. Because here, they're extremely expensive, and it's just not worth it. Because they they buy them from the States, they bring them down. I think they pay an import tax, then they mark it up. So it's like 40% more than you would pay in the States if you buy them here in San Juan del Sur. So I loaded up the dogs in the backseat of the truck and headed out for Granada to buy some cigars. And much like most of the small towns in Central America, Granada is confusing to drive around in. No street signs, no stoplights, no stop signs, no addresses. You just got to know where you're going and just get there. So... I think I know where the cigar store is. Pulling into Granada, I turn down the road. It's the wrong road. I spent about 25, 30 minutes driving around, driving around. And then finally, I was like, man, if I can get back to the main road, I think I know where I went wrong. I can do it again. And this is how it always works. Right before I get back to the main road, I like turn down a little side street, and there it is. Lo and behold, the cigar shop I was looking for. But the main reason that I wanted to talk about this trip to Granada was not anything to do with the cigar store. But it was about what you see 
on the side of the road between San Juan del Sur and Granada, Nicaragua. And there's a lot of people that have cows and horses. But for whatever reason, they don't like to keep the cows and the horses inside the fence. They like to put them outside the fence next to the road. And I suspect it's because they would rather their cows and horses eat the grass from the roadside, which they don't have to maintain, fertilize, or cut. It's not theirs. It's someone else's. So, so I think in their mind, it's like, whoa, there's free grass out here. We might as well let our cows eat it. So what they'll do is they'll just turn them out loose on the side of the road. Sometimes they'll tie them up. They'll tie them up sometimes. But a lot of times they won't. They'll just let them eat. And there's like normally like a man or like a little boy uh, near them that kind of keeps them herded away from the road. And sometimes they won't be there and they'll just go across the road on their own. And other times, like, you'll, you'll see them, and you're like, oh, man, like the horse, the cow's, like, facing the road, their head's right on the edge of the shoulder. And you think, okay, are they tied up or are they not tied up? Because if they're not tied up, you got to slow way down in case they decide to dart out in front of you. But when they tie them up, they tie them up with just enough rope to keep their head, like, six inches from the road, the edge of the road. And, and these aren't big, wide shoulders with four, five, six foot. You know, this is like the line and maybe six inches of asphalt and then a horse head. But what they don't think about is that they'll put the loop of that rope right at the edge of the road. But that horse, if it's loose enough around their neck, can just spin around so that now the rope is coming out from like the top side of the horse's neck when the horse's head is down eating the grass. And that allows their bodies to be in the middle of the road. And it only took me one time. I saw that happen one time and I thought, man, that guy must have made a mistake. But you see it over and over and over again. And I just think if that were my cow or my horse, I wouldn't want their body out in the middle of the road because then they could get smashed, and then I would lose the value of that horse. I mean, they don't, they don't just keep horses and cows for fun here. They, they need them to work, or they eat the cows, or whatever. But I saw that six times between San Juan del Sur and Granada, where the, where the cows or the horse had spun around inside their little lasso and were eating with their hind end out in the middle of the road. I also saw a little colt just come up from the side of the road and just dart across the highway and run down the embankment on the other side. And then shortly after, I saw a little boy, probably 12 years old, chasing the colt with a halter. It looks like the one that got away. But people hit cows and horses all the time here. I mean, all the time. I see it probably once a month. The moral of the story is don't let your cows free by the road, people. I'm in the middle of a situation right now. I'm calling it the safe situation of 2015. I've got a little fireproof safe here at the house where I stays. And it's got a key that opens it. And you have to type in a code on the digital keypad. So yesterday when I got back from Costa Rica, I needed to get some money out of the safe. And so I stuck the key in. I typed in the code. The code beeped, telling me that it accepted the code, and then I turned the key, and the key just broke off inside the keyhole. And so that's where I'm at now. 
I can't access money in the safe because there's a broken key inside of it. I contacted the property managers, and they're supposed to be sending someone out to look at it. I don't know what that means, but I suspect there would be some safe destruction in my future. I kind of hope that it works out that way. I mean, what I'll probably have to do is go find someone that has the equipment to tear into it. And I could see them being like, oh, no, I'm sorry. We're not allowed to tear into safes. If they do say that, you will know about it. Because I will laugh and laugh and laugh. But it won't surprise me. Okay, that about wraps up today's rants and rambles on the Life in Paradise podcast. I appreciate you listening. It's free as always. But I sure would like some feedback. So if anybody has any feedback or has any questions or things they want to talk about or things that they would like me to talk about, let me know. NikaSaleAndSurf.com or you can just email me directly NikaSaleAndSurf at gmail.com That's N-I-C-A-S-A-I-L-A-N-D-S-U-R-F at gmail.com Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo. Yeah.